I am very glad to be back home with you this evening. Uh, some of you may not be aware, but I was actually uh, up at Camp Barakel. Uh, went up Friday, preached Friday night, twice on Saturday, once this morning, and now I'm back here with you. So uh, five messages in a 48-hour uh, span. So, uh, But what I'm excited about is uh, that the messages that I was able to share with the teens there and, and what I hope to share with you tonight, I'm excited about personally uh, myself. Uh, I think all of you are aware we're doing something a little bit different on Sunday nights, uh, and we're going to be focusing on this study of gospel-shaped living. And our theme for tonight is Our Church, Light in the darkness. And I just want to say a, a few little things about that, uh, that, come on now, there we go, uh, about that uh, video clip that we started out with. It's a good thing for us as people to always be asking the question, what is the church? And as a congregation, we're very well informed believers, I think, and we have uh, had the privilege of going through the nine marks of a healthy church, uh, not that many years ago with Pastor Tim preaching. Uh, and, but it's always important for us to remind ourselves what it is that we're supposed to be doing as believers in Christ. Because as the video alluded to, people are looking for community. They're looking for gathering places all over in the world. And, and community is a really important word that Scripture uses for us. But community isn't just simply gathering together around some theme, whether it's working out at uh, a gym or Jesus at a church or food at, well, just any place, really. Food's a good thing to gather around, usually for community. But it has to be about more than just that. And so this series is going to try to help to challenge us to think about what it is that we should be about as a body of believers right here in First Baptist Church of St. John's. And, and I know that as a congregation, we have people that will come from other places, uh, but God has placed First Baptist Church right here in St. John's, Michigan to impact the world that we live in. And that means that, that we have to decide in our hearts what it is, does it mean in our context to be a light in the darkness right here uh, in Clinton County? And I want us to think about not just what is the church, but during this series, I want us to think about what do we want our church to look like? What do we want the future of our church to look like? How do we want our church to continue to, to grow and progress and move forward as a body of believers? What kind of things would we like to see taking place? Maybe as we're going through this series, God can, can lay on people's hearts a vision for a new ministry and challenge them with, with how we can live the gospel out in our context right here in St. John's and how that can have a dramatic impact on the world that we live in, the world that God placed you in so that you can be an impact here in this area. And another thing that I want us to think about in that context is, how do you feel about the church? 
And not, I'm not talking about like emotions, oh, it makes me happy, it makes me sad. But, but I want us to step back and evaluate our lives and our ministries. I think everyone that's part of this series should, should look at what God's Word has to say and how it challenges us and what it teaches us. And then we should evaluate our, our own lives and say, all right, what does my life look like as part of this local body? Am I doing the things that, that God has called me to do? Am I involved in the ministries that I think God would want me to be involved in? Is there more that I should be doing? Is there less? Is there something that I'm doing now that I shouldn't be doing? Our lives need to be characterized and shaped by the gospel. And too often, I think we oftentimes will settle into, well, but this is just the way that we've always done it. We've always done it this way, so we're just going to kind of continue to do it that way. And that's a very dangerous thing for a church to do because people around us change and we want to be evaluating what does God word, God's word teach us? What are the principles that he teaches us that we can apply to our context here at First Baptist? And so I also want to just say a little note about our Sunday uh, evening services. Uh, our desire is that it'll be little bit less formal as Pastor Tim has already kind of explained to you. I saw some of you looking at me when you were walking in because I didn't have a coat on. Uh, it worked for Pastor Tim at the Christmas Eve service so uh, you know the, the building didn't fall down um, and nobody revolted so uh, we're going to try to make this a little bit more comfortable and just a little bit more casual and in that context we're also having several different men come and teach and share with us. And I'm excited about that because each of them will have a little unique take on our theme. They'll have a little bit different teaching style. I'm hoping to use technology a little bit different way than, than we normally do tonight. And as long as it works, I'll do that. Um, and, and so it gives us the ability to, to have some flexibility while also giving more men the opportunity uh, to come up and to speak. But there's something else that I want to say, and I'm saying this specifically to you. If we could pause the recording, I would stop it right now. I want to say thank you. We believe that the Sunday evening service is important in the body and life of this local congregation, and you're here, and so we want to say thank you. And so we want you to know that we want this to be a very special and unique growing opportunity in the life of our church. It gives us some flexibility to possibly do some things differently than we have in the past, but we, we don't see this as a departure from what we've done in the past. We see this as growing and, and doing some small changes and tweaking and hopefully helping this to be a very profitable time for all of us uh, as we go through uh, this series together. So my Bible text for this evening is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And uh, I'm going to have all of my uh, verses on the screen, um, but I would encourage you to keep your, uh, keep your finger in your 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, passage, because I will oftentimes go back and refer to that. Before I really begin to preach, let me, let me pray, please. Father, thank you for this chance to be gathered together as your people. Thank you that we have the opportunity to be your people. Father, even as we're studying your word tonight, help us to understand what a precious gift that is and help us to never take that for granted. 
You have chosen us, we are yours, and you have given us your word so that we can know you. And for that, we are so very thankful. And we ask that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would teach us tonight more about you and more about how we, your children, can serve you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, there's a few things that I want to really focus on as we're looking at, at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And, and we're going to kind of look at some of the very specific words and the, the thoughts that are in there. And then we're going to kind of use that as a, uh, as a starting point, as a trampoline, as it were, to, to bound into what God's Word continually says about who we are. What is our identity as children of God? And it's a very important thing for people to nail down in their lives because it's one of those things that if you don't fully understand who you are in the sight of a living God, then you're not going to possibly be able to live out the gospel in your life every day. If you don't know who you are because of what Christ has done for you, it's impossible for you to be a light in the darkness that, that, that God calls us to be for him. So one of the first words that I want us to look at here is that we are chosen. You know, we all know that, that Scripture teaches the, the idea of adoption all throughout. And maybe there are some of you here tonight that, that have been adopted. But there is something unique and special that God, the infinitely wise creator of the universe, chose you to be his child. There is something amazingly special when we, we understand that out of the billions of people in this world, he directed someone to share the gospel with you. And the Holy Spirit draw, drew you into a relationship with him. You see, we used to be separated from God from our sin. We know that. But, but there's something unique about knowing that we have been chosen by God. And we're going we're gonna to try to unpack that a little bit. What does this mean? Why would God choose us? What is, what is our part? What is our role then in the fact that God has chosen us? But it's important that we don't just say, okay, Jesus chose me because I'm worth choosing. He chose us for some specific re reasons. He calls us this royal priesthood. And in, in Hebrews, we, were, we learn of the priesthood of all believers. And, and we need to understand what that really looks like. My passage that I was looking at with the teens through, uh, throughout this past weekend at Camp Barakel was the book of Malachi. And let me tell you, the end of the Old Testament and something I just kept hammering home to those teenagers is, you know what, for thousands of years they should have known better. They knew what God's expectations were, but the people of Israel were constantly in that cycle of falling into sin and, and, and God would constantly send someone, a prophet, to redeem them and to call them back to repentance. And, and, and They should have known better. 
But in Malachi's day, they, they weren't doing the things that God had called them to do. Their hearts were distant, distant from the Lord. And they weren't acting like a royal priesthood. They were acting like spoiled brats. They were acting like God had, he, he, he should be, uh, they had the expectation that God should provide for them. But in, instead, that's not what the priesthood is all about. The priesthood is supposed to be about people who understand what it means to be chosen. People who understand what they used to be. And now, they're not. And that's what the whole concept that we're going to be looking at this morning, or this evening, is looking at the two distinct differences of what our lives used to be like, and what they're like now, and how God can use that. And so he's called us to be a priesthood, and that includes being holy. We don't like to talk about the fact that we struggle in our daily lives still. In a good church like ours, we have some amazing people. But sometimes when we have a great church with, with great knowledge and wonderful godly Christians, sometimes it's hard for people that are struggling to feel like they're fitting into the body somewhere. They feel like they're the exception to the rule and everybody else already has it all together. And we are called to live a holy and set-apart life for God. But we have to understand that it's not in our own strength that that happens. And we can't, we, we can't expect that everybody that walks in the door is going to have a squeaky clean life. God wants us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but he, he doesn't expect us to get there right now. This is what he's calling us to and that is what we should be striving for. But as Christians, sometimes we have the, the tendency to shoot our wounded. If somebody's struggling, we'll kick them while they're down, or we'll shoot their wounded to put them out of their misery. That's not what God's calling us to. He's calling us to a holiness that means walking with him. And we'll see that as we progress a little bit throughout our evening together. But one of the things that I want us to understand as well that we have been called out of darkness. When he calls us to the holiness, when he calls us to holy and righteous living, when he calls us to, 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 to leave what we used to be and to be something unique and completely different now, God is calling us to live our lives in, in the power of Christ. He's not calling us to have a set of standards and a set of things to do, now do to impress God. He wants us to live a life set apart, holy, because he has called us out of that darkness. You see, when we're able to do these things, this is what it means. And these are the two things that we're going to kind of look at this evening. And that is that we are a unique people. And then later on, we're going to watch a video that talks about, okay, if we are a unique people, the, the last video uh, for, the, for the evening that will kind of wrap things up for us is that if we are a unique people, then, then what does that mean for us? How do we then continue in that uniqueness? But I want us to focus on being a unique people. And what that means can be found in Titus 2, 11 through 15, a parallel passage to the, to, the, to the 1 Peter 2 passage that we're looking at. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, that's an important word for us to, re, 
to, to think about, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You see, when we expect everyone to walk in the door as perfect and holy, we're neglecting to understand the fact that right now, We are in a training process. God is working in us. The gospel saves us, but then the gospel also calls us to that righteous living. And we need to not short-circuit that process by expecting everybody to already be perfect and holy. And so when we come across a brother or sister in Christ that's struggling in sin, by all means, we should call them to live a godly and a holy life, a life that's set apart different from the darkness. Because that's a distinct quality of God's people. But we need to do that in a way that honors the fact that the gospel and the Holy Spirit is at work in them. You see, it's not a, it's not a uh, passion for people to look good. It's a passion for people to follow Christ. We want to be the kind of people that are encouraging others to renounce ungodliness and to grow in Godliness, because we are a people that is God's own possession. And so you and I, when we're living our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be challenging one another to do what God has called us to do, but we need to be doing that in a way that honors the fact that God is at work in one another. And in fact, one, another parallel passage that I want us to just briefly look at uh, can be found in Malachi, and I, and I preached on it this weekend. Malachi three seventeen through 18. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This idea of light and darkness, this idea that God would have a people that are his own possession, that would be a testimony to the world around them, has, has been around since God made his covenant with Abraham. And the whole purpose of the Abrahamic covenant is so that all people will know, so that all nations will know, so that everybody in the world who comes across and comes into contact with another Christian will know that God's people are his treasured possession, and there's a distinct difference between them and the world. You shall be mine, my treasured possession. And he doesn't call the Israelites at this time because they are already perfect and because they're already holy. And, and we see over and over the grace of God as he desires to restore the, his relationship with them. And so we need to be people who understand that. 
And when we have that fallen brother or sister, we need to be in that process of, of restoration, and we need to be a place that we can come to and talk about these things, talk about those struggles, and talk about what it means to follow and to walk with Christ. Because seeing that distinction is so very important. We want the world to see that distinction. You see, that's what it means to be light in a dark world. We are surrounded by darkness. If I asked any of you in here this evening to name 10 things that are totally wretched and broken in this world, you'd probably give me a list of 20. It's blatantly obvious when we, when we look at the news feeds, when we look at the things that are uh, going on in the world around us. It's, it's blatantly obvious that our world is broken. But, but God doesn't want us to stand back and curse the darkness. Oh, woe is me. Look at how terrible this is. This world that we live in is so awful. He wants us to be distinctly different from that darkness and to be a light in this dark world. But for you and I to do that, I think there's something very important that we sometimes miss as Christians. Over and over and over in Scripture, God tells us, remember. Remember that you used to be this. We need to understand that we used to be in darkness. Verse 10 of 1 Peter 2 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You need to remember what you were. Because otherwise we can get ourselves a little bit too puffed up. And I think we have an amazing church. And I think we have an amazing body of believers. And we have some people who have unique gifts, talents, and abilities that they desire to use to serve the Lord here in this, in this local body. And for that, I am immensely thankful. But let's not ever think that God somehow needs us. That, that God saved me so that I could be this. God doesn't need us. He doesn't... Think, he, he doesn't need us because we were lost in darkness. We were spiritually bankrupt. We were enemies of God until he called us. And keeping that perspective, understanding where we came from, can be very helpful for us to know what it means to be a shining light in the darkness. And I talk about the teens, I talk about this with the teens frequently because Many of them were saved at a very young age. Many of them don't even remember what it was like to be the wretched sinner without Christ. And, and we don't even like to talk about words like that, wretched sinner without Christ. No, they were a pretty good kid, and then they trusted Jesus. No, they were, Ephesians 2 tells us that they were enemies of God. Anybody apart from Christ was an enemy of God. And we need to, to talk about things in those kinds of strong terms because that's what God's word tells us. And so we don't, we don't want to forget that I used to be an enemy of God until his marvelous grace pierced into my life and completely changed me. 
You see, because when we fail to remember that we used to be in darkness, when we fail to remember that we used to be without God's mercy and not a people and not his possession, when we, when we forget that, then it's easy for us to begin uh, thinking that, well, I'm a pretty good person, and maybe that's why God saved me. Or maybe we can then start to make a list of the things that we do well and become legalistic in our approach to God's grace and mercy. And all of those are the wrong thing for us to do. God did not save you because you're awesome. God saved you because he's awesome. God did not save me because I am worth saving. God saved me because he is worth praising. It's not about you and I. And sometimes when we forget where we came from, when we forget what we once were, it's easy for us to get confused. In back in our passage in, in, in 1 Peter 2, two of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture follow. It says, but now, or but God. Those are beautiful, beautiful words. Because no matter what we could say, we could say our world is lost and broken. But God. Chad was without hope. But God. St. John's is a lost, dark place. But God. We need to understand the power that God has in this but now and we need to be a place that is desiring to see God continue to be at work. This but now indicates the action that God intervened. And if there's anything that we're going to accomplish of any eternal value here in the lives of the people around us, the people that we love, it has to be fully dependent on God's ability to intervene for us. It isn't what you and I have to offer, but what God has to offer. That's what makes, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, one of the most beautiful verses in scripture. But God, while you and I were completely lost, completely hopeless, our, our speaker in, in one of the videos says, we were on spiritual welfare completely unable to take care of ourselves spiritually, completely unable to do anything about our situation, but God intervened and changed all of that. And now we're a royal priesthood. We go from spiritual welfare, spiritually bankrupt, to being a royal priesthood with all the rights and the privileges that come along with that. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it indicates for us just what kind of transformation is taking place. This is a complete transformation. We need to, we need to understand that, that, that when, when Christ intervenes in our lives, it is a complete transformation. But I think sometimes we still like to cling to parts of our old nature. When it comes to ministry, we need to understand it isn't anything that I have skills or ability-wise. It's completely dependent on God because I'm a, a complete transformation. Yes, God gives me unique talents and abilities that come through the power of his Holy Spirit. But if somebody was 
if somebody had a great skill or ability before they get saved, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be their greatest spiritual giftedness after they're saved. It's a complete transformation. And yes, God does give us talents, gifts, and abilities, but we need to understand that some of those are just human personality and talents. And we need to know the distinction between the two. Because if we want something of eternal value to take place, we need to trust that God is the one who's going to do that. And, and that's why in Ephesians 6, we're challenged to put on the, the whole armor of God. Because anything that we do to wage war against the darkness in this world has to be accomplished through Christ. And it's impossible for us to do that without the power of God. And that's why we're, we're challenged to put on the armor. And so you and I need to understand this total and complete transformation that takes place. And I'm thankful that God has given me the talents that I have. But, but I'm more thankful that his Holy Spirit is still at work, working in the lives of people to change hearts and communities. So what does this gospel-shaped community look like? What should our church look like? If we're, if we're really applying to our lives what it means to be a unique people, to be light in this dark world, to understand that we used to be in darkness, but God intervened in our life, and, and, and not only did he intervene then, but he's continuing to intervene, and he desires to make this complete transformation in the lives of even people who seem com, uh, out of his reach. If we understand these things, what does that look like? How does that help us to know? How, how will we know when we've achieved that? The Gospel Coalition, which is the uh, group that put out this, uh, this material has this on their, uh, it's not really part of their uh, statement of faith, but it's part of what they're desiring to help churches to become. And they say this, because the gospel removes both fear and pride, people should get along inside the church who could never get along outside. Because it points us to a man who died for his enemies, the gospel creates relationships of service rather than of selfishness. Because the gospel calls us to holiness, the people of God live in loving bonds of mutual accountability and discipline. Thus, the gospel creates a human community radically different from any society around it. That's what their definition of what a gospel-shaped community should look like. And so I ask myself, what, what does it mean that the gospel removes both fear and pride and that people should get along inside and outside of the church? How can we as a body of Christ do that more effectively? Because, because that would be an excellent indication that we are God's people. That would be an excellent indication that, that we were a, a people without mercy, but now we're a people of mercy and who understand God's mercy. And so we're extending that mercy to one another as well. When people are hurting, we're, we're, we're loving them. And inst instead of letting pride and fear get in the way and having contentious relationships, we're, we're lovingly getting along with one another. Having relationships of service rather than of selfishness. I am thankful we have a congregation that serves well. But we could certainly be better. And sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up into the assumption of, well, I'm serving in the things that kind of benefit me. 
I have kids, so I should serve some in the kids' ministry, and then it balances out because I'm getting something and I'm giving something and everybody's happy. But that's not what a gospel-shaped community looks like. A gospel-shaped community looks like, like I am living to serve others and to honor and to glorify Christ, not because I get any mutual benefit from it. There's nothing wrong with serving in areas where you do get some benefit from it, but the beautiful thing about the gospel is it changes lives so dramatically that they're serving for no benefit of their own. And that's what you and I should be striving for in our lives and in our ministry. Not serving because we're getting glory, not serving because we get some benefit, but serving because Christ is worth it. And serving him is worth it. The gospel creates a human community radically different from any society around it. I really desire, Tim and Ron, and we hope Mike, as he comes on board, really desire for our church to be different from anything else that society around us, around us has to offer. Because we want people to see the light of the gospel transforming us daily. We want to be the kind of people that God would call us to be. We want to be the royal priesthood that he has called us to be. We want to understand that this is what it means to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Christians should not be dour-looking, sad-faced, upset all of the time people. We need to proclaim the excellencies of God. The gospel is the most beautiful and powerful thing that could ever have transformed the world. And you and I should know that better than anyone. And so we want this church, to be light to this community, to be a shining light in the darkness so that many more will know what it's like to be a child of wrath who has become an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God, to be somebody who was an enemy of God who is now at peace with God, to be someone who was once without mercy, without hope, who now has hope because of what Christ has done. And our goal is to see that happen over and over and over again in the lives of this community and ultimately to the ends of the earth because God is worthy of all praise and adoration. And that should be why we want to change our lives, why we want to shape our lives on the gospel message. So that's what it means to be a unique people. And in just a few minutes here, I'm going to have uh, them play the video which, which shows what it means to have this unique purpose of God. And I want us to understand that, that if we know who we are, if we, if we understand what it means to be this unique people, it should naturally flow out in our lives that we have a unique purpose. And it doesn't matter whether you are a five-year-old who has trusted Christ as your Savior, 
or a 95-year-old who has trusted Christ as your Savior, or anything in between there. You have a unique purpose as a child of God, part of the royal priesthood, and your, your role is to proclaim the excellencies of our God who is worthy of all praise. I'm going to close us in prayer here as the guys switch that over so they can play the video. And then we'll play that video and Chris will come and close us in uh, with a song. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God of change. You don't ever change. You never go back on your promises. But you are a God that changes hearts, changes lives, and changes eternal destinations of those that love you. Thank you that you are a God that takes us from darkness into light. Thank you that you are a God that has made us into a royal priesthood. Father, help us here at First Baptist Church to know what that means more fully, to understand our unique role in your kingdom, and to understand what our purpose is and how we can shine the light in the darkness. Father, we know that nothing good can happen through our own strength, but you've called us to serve you and to shine for you. So help us to do that so that lives can be changed. It's in Christ's name that we pray.